About 180 years ago, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, perpetrated a fraud upon the Mormon people. And in this video, I want to tell you about that fraud. During today's Tuesday live stream, where we tackle apologetics and theology every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, if I can remember where I live, um, we tackle the issues of theology and apologetics. And I do take your questions at the end of this live stream. And so as we're about to jump in to the topic of how to not just guess, but prove that Mormonism's foundations were a lie, that Joseph Smith perpetrated a fraud upon the Mormon people and Mormons here, they're the victims, victims of Joseph Smith and what he did, as we're going to prove that today. You can be typing in your questions throughout this live stream, and uh, my buddy AJ Bernard, he is going to take your questions and he's going to send them to me through my very intelligent phone, and I will answer those questions at the end of the stream. So whatever, whatever those questions are as they pop up, especially if they relate to the, the question at hand, which is the book of Abraham and Joseph Smith, I'm especially interested in those, but I'll take any question you've got and um, answer it to the best of my ability today. I'm Mike Winger. And this is my YouTube channel. And if you have not subscribed yet, I do encourage you to uh, go to the subscribe button, click it, and even hit the little bell icon. And that way you get notifications when I go live like this, as well as um, whenever I put up a new video, which right now is three times a week. So we got a lot of good biblical content, learning how to think biblically about everything in our lives going on. Okay, so let's, uh, let's jump into the content. You don't want to look at this guy. You want to look at this guy right here. This is Joseph Smith, this good-looking guy. And, um, and he is a good-looking guy, at least in this picture, although this might be more of an um, Instagram-type uh, thing where, <laughs> where when you meet him in person, you might have been a little disappointed. But anyhow, that, that's Joseph Smith. He is the founder of Mormonism. Mormonism is a massive uh, religion worldwide with lots of little offshoots, but the main branch of Mormonism, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the LDS or Latter-day Saints, they have about 15 million um, LDS members across the globe right now. And here's a, a picture of the, um, uh, the temple where they gather um, in Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is considered really the holiest spot for the, the Mormon person. Now, what I want to do today is ask the question, um, apart from just praying, apart from just kind of feeling it out, how can I test Mormonism to see if it's true? And there is a perfect way to test it nowadays to prove, I mean, beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond any reasonable doubt, to prove that Mormonism is either true or false. And when you subject Mormonism to this test, you have your answer and you can go on your merry way knowing that you have now figured out the reality of the this, of this situation. So for you to understand how this works, I'm going to need to tell you about the book of Abraham. Um, the book of Abraham is, a, is Mormon scripture. It's part of their, um, basically as a Christian, you think of this as part of their Bible and it is, but you need to hear the story of how the book of Abraham came out. So let's back up a little bit and we'll go back uh, quite a bit, almost 180 years approximately, to 1835. And in 1835, that is when Mormonism was being founded. This is the beginnings, the the baby period of Mormonism, where Joseph Smith, this guy shows up and he says, I have new fresh revelation from God. I have gifts. I'm the seer and I'm the prophet. I am the one who speaks on behalf of God to this generation. And he came and he brought new scriptures to be added to the Bible. And he says he restored the gospel. So in 1835, here's what happened. Uh, the Mormons were there centered around Kirtland, Ohio. 
And into Kirtland, Ohio, came a traveling group. And this traveling group, and this is, this is agreed upon by Mormons. I'm not giving you some sort of secret history. This is all well-known stuff, right? This traveling group had a mummy ex exhibition. So they had four mummies from ancient Egypt that they'd brought in, along with two papyrus scrolls. And the, um, the Mormons, they saw these mummies, they saw these scrolls, and what they were most excited about was the scrolls. Because this guy, Michael Chandler, he was claiming that these mummies and this, these scrolls, these papyrus, they went back all the way to the time of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The claim was it went all the way back to then. So this was very exciting for them because you see, the, the Mormons have been told that Joseph Smith had a gift of translation and a gift of seeing ancient languages and being able to interpret them from the power of God. So, I mean, imagine if you were a Mormon back then, you'd be like, look, ancient texts that may date back to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know who can translate these. Now, now you have to now you might think be thinking, hey, it's Egyptian. Everybody knows Egyptian nowadays, right? I mean, just Google Translate could probably do it for me. But, but back then, the Rosetta Stone, which unlocked the Egyptian language, had only recently been found, and the only people really doing work in Egyptian was in Europe and France. And so, in America, nobody knew Egyptian. Nobody knew how to understand what was written on these documents. So they got really excited because maybe Joseph can understand this. They didn't realize the work was going on elsewhere. So the Mormon church did some fundraising and Joseph Smith raised $2,400 to purchase these four mummies and these two scrolls and some other fragments as well. Now that's a lot of money. That's about um, $60,000 in modern, uh, modern currency nowadays because um, of inflation. So the, this, this document he gets and he starts looking at these and he claims, claims that he now has a document that was not only from the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but was written by the hand of Abraham himself. This is what Joseph Smith claims, which would be very exciting if it's true. So he begins to translate this document and it takes him about seven years before he finally publishes the Joseph Smith translation of what is called now the Book of Abraham. Now to verify this, I'm going to read a couple um, entries from Joseph Smith's diary. These have been printed by the Mormon Church, and it says in the following, Joseph Smith, his diary, he says, Sunday, July 5th, 1835, with W.W. W. Phelps and Oliver Cowdery as scribes, I commenced the translation of some of the characters or hieroglyphics, and much to our joy found that one of the scrolls contained the writings of Abraham, and another the writings of Joseph of Egypt. More more full account of which will appear in its place. As I proceed to examine or unfold them, truly, we can say the Lord is beginning to reveal the abundance of peace and truth. And that's in the history of, of the church. Um, and you can look that up for yourself. Uh, in fact, what I'll do is, if, as much as I can, I'll put some links in the description after this live stream is over. And you guys can double check and confirm because I do not want you to take my word for it. In fact, that's kind of the point of the live stream, isn't it? Don't just take people's word for it. So um, another of his journal entries in late July of 1835 says, The remainder of this month, I was continually engaged in translating an alphabet of the book of Abraham and arranging a grammar of the Egyptian language as practiced by the ancients. So Joseph Smith says he's, he's translating this right from the text itself into the book of Abraham in English for people to have that day. Also, uh, October 1st, 1835, he says, This afternoon I labored on the Egyptian alphabet. I labored on the Egyptian alphabet. 
And so all, all these are, of course, these documents are all printed and these, um, these journal entries are all recorded um, from the LDS for us to read. Then finally, the last one I'll read was Thursday, November 26th, 1835. He says, at home, we spent the day in transcribing Egyptian characters from the papyrus. And so <clears throat> this is this is a claim from Joseph Smith that we, we're, I'm excited about. You should be excited about too, because whenever people make testable claims, they have a chance to prove themselves true or prove themselves false. And either way, we all win because we're drawn closer to truth, right? Now, um, there are some who would who who will already start to say some some maybe LDS people who would be like Mike, you're not you're wrong. Um, he didn't say that those exact writings were from Abraham, but but let me read now from the diary of Wilford Woodruff, who is no small bean in in the LDS history. He was part of the Quorum of the Twelve, and he ended up being the fourth president of the LDS. Now, the president is not just a um, governmental position in the LDS Church; it is a spiritual authoritative position in the church, and so. He wrote in February 19th, 1842, the Lord is blessing Joseph with power to reveal mysteries of the kingdom of God, to translate through the Urim and Thummim. Those were basically special glasses he wore. He called them Urim and Thummim. Uh, I'm not going to explain that today. Um, <clears throat> as I continue reading, he says, ancient records and hieroglyphics as old as Abraham or Adam. Joseph the seer has presented us some of the book of Abraham, which was, quote, written by his own hand but hid from the knowledge of man for the last 4,000 years. And that actually is going to be the claim. Let me show you specifically from the book of Abraham, because look, this is the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. These, these are documents that are considered authoritative scripture in the Mormon church. Over here, the Pearl of Great Price, well, that contains within it the book of Abraham. And I know you can't see this, so I went ahead and took a picture of it and blew it up for you. In the introduction... To the book of Abraham, the LDS church has printed, really from Joseph Smith, this phrase, translated from the papyrus by Joseph Smith. So where is it translated from? These papyrus, those same papyrus. A translation of some ancient records that have fallen into our hands from the catacombs of Egypt, the writings of Abraham while he was in Egypt, called the book of Abraham, written by his own hand upon papyrus. That's so, so important that we establish this. The claim of Joseph is that Abraham himself, he wrote down the stuff on these exact papyri. That's just a plural for papyrus, right? On the, like, these exact documents, Abraham wrote them. So that is, um, that is really important. The next thing to know is really important as well, and that is that in 1880, that's when the church canonized or said, this is God's inspired word. So they elevated it right up there, absolutely equal with the Bible as God's inspired word. Okay, now um, uh, this now this is now part of the standard works of the church, and so we can really judge this as being the foundation upon which the church stands. We can say, hey, the the um, the credibility of Joseph Smith hangs upon this document. The credibility of the Mormon Church and its new revelation from God hangs upon this as well. Now, unfortunately, the papyrus themselves were, for years and years, no one was able to examine them. You know, even later when they found Egyptian, uh, more Egyptian knowledge, and they started to be able to understand and decipher these hieroglyphs, you couldn't get a hold of the papyrus because they were lost, or so we thought, in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Um, now, what did happen was, inside that same book of Abraham, Joseph Smith included 
pictures or drawings, facsimiles, that were meant to be copies of the original documents. So he actually includes those in the modern day versions of the, um, the book of Abraham. Here's an example. So here's him. Actually, he's drawn or, or someone near him has drawn these pictures saying this is the papyrus. This is one of the papyrus we used in order to translate this stuff. Now, what's kind of cool for us who are interested in this stuff is he actually includes, notice the numbers. There's a little one, there's a little three, there's a little two. You see these, you see these little numbers over here. This stuff is, is, um, is connected to explanations where he says, this is what these things mean. So he interprets the images on these ancient pictures and he doesn't just interpret them in general. He interprets them in the context of the, of the divinely inspired word of God that the LDS claims the book of Abraham is. So um, the angel of the Lord, this eagle figure up here, that's the angel of the Lord. The guy on the table is Abraham. Um, over here, this, this other uh, scary looking dude, he's, he's you know, trying to kill Abraham. He's got a knife in his hand. He's going to stab him. These, these images on the bottom, there's little animal images on the bottom. Those represent uh, gods. And he gives the names for these gods, you know, Elkanah, Libna, Mamakra, Korash. He, he names them. And so this is stuff we can actually test. So what they did was they submitted these, these facsimiles to Egyptologists of the time. And the Egyptologists actually really criticized them a lot. Um, and the Mormon church, they didn't like, obviously didn't like this. You're not going to like this if you believe this stuff is true. You're going to be offended by that, I think, or at least bothered. So the Mormon church said, you know what? All you Egyptologists, you're, <laughs> you're wrong, but it doesn't matter because you don't have the originals. And if you can't criticize the originals, you're just... You're, you're getting mad at pictures. Maybe the pictures weren't that accurate, you know? So unfortunately, the, the conversation kind of ended right there. Uh, but in 1966, something wonderful happened for Mormons. And that is they found many of the original papyri that Joseph Smith used. They found them basically buried in the, um, in the uh, New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. Now, this is not uncommon, right? Museums have backlogs of tons of texts just sort of sitting in the basements, waiting for someone to kind of go through them and try to catalog them and say, what's what? Well, when they were going through their text, they said, hey, this is, these match the drawings of Joseph Smith. These are actually the papyrus from him. So in 1966, they found them. In 1967, they were given over to the Mormon church and, or Brigham Young University, one or the other, I forget. And then the Mormon church came out and officially proclaimed, these are the very same documents. Now, this is very exciting, right? Because now what can we do? We can test them. We can ask the question, is Joseph Smith legit? Was his translation accurate? Did he know Egyptian before anyone else did? Did he get the, is this really from Abraham? Do we have an ancient text that's older than anything else we've got? And so um, they came out and said things, for instance, uh, Hugh Nibley, the professor of ancient scripture at BYU, Brigham Young University, he commented uh, in the Journal of BYU Studies, he said the following, the discovery of the book of Abraham papyri is a far more momentous transaction than might appear on the surface, for it brought back into play for the first time since the angel Moroni took back the golden plates, a tangible link between the worlds. That's that's pretty impressive. In fact, um, in the uh, in the Pearl of Great Price Student Manual Religion. This is something produced by the LDS Church for students learning about the Pearl of Great Price about and about the Book of Abraham. They said this, the Mormon Church has said this, the Book of Abraham is an evidence of the inspired calling of the prophet Joseph Smith. It came forth at a time when the study of the ancient Egyptian language and culture was just beginning. 
The scholars of the 1800s had scarcely begun to explore the field of Egyptology, and yet, with no formal training in ancient languages and no knowledge of ancient Egypt, except his work with the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith began his translation of the ancient manuscripts. His knowledge and ability came through the power and gift of God together with his own determination and faith. That quote is from the Pearl of Great Price Student Manual, Religion, uh, page uh, 29. And this is this is significant stuff, right? Okay, now we can test it. They're excited. We're excited. Everyone's excited. Let's put it to the test. And I, I can't even... Let's pause for a second. You cannot even imagine how big of a deal this is. You see, earlier Joseph Smith had translated the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon had been translated from these elusive golden plates. We won't get into that today, but here's the main point. The, the, the stuff that he says they were translated from, it was taken up to heaven, according to Joseph Smith. So no one ever saw it again. No one, ever, no one was able to check. You couldn't compare the Book of Mormon to the golden plates to see if he translated right. You couldn't even look at one letter of the ancient language for that matter. But now we can do something. We can test Joseph Smith and see if he's a prophet of God. It's pretty powerful because I'll tell you what, as a non-Mormon, if this came out to show that he really accurately translated ancient Egyptian, I would, re I would consider becoming Mormon. I'd be like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Like, how did he do that? You know, <laughs> I would be wondering. So what did we find? What was the truth about the, the book of Abraham and the ancient papyrus that they found? Well, the truth was that they dated not to the time of Abraham, but to the second century BC. Second century BC. Now that's kind of a big deal. It was supposed to be written by Abraham with his own hand, but the papyrus dates to second century BC. That's about 1800 years off. That's almost as far off as you are from Jesus right now in the year 2000. That's about how far off it was from Abraham's time. The subject is not just the date that's the problem, because if it's still contained, you know, you might say, well, maybe there's some explanation, but no, no. The subject, these are Egyptian funerary texts. These are actually pagan and they're full of false gods and false Egyptian religious content. And it's actually from the Book of the Dead and something called the Breathing Permit of Hor. Hor is the name of an individual. In fact, that's the guy that's on the table in the picture that I showed you. It wasn't Abraham. It was a guy named Hor. The text gives his name. So this is about the afterlife. In fact, let me, let me put the image back up uh, for you on the screen here. Now, this is the actual papyrus overlaid on top of Joseph Smith's drawings of it. What, what's interesting about it is a few things. Um, there's missing pieces. Now, he didn't tell anybody that. This was something they found out about when they discovered the papyrus. There were missing pieces, and he just filled in the blanks. There's a big debate over whether this guy had arms at all. Um, and maybe those were the wings of another bird, a different type of bird. I won't get into that because that gets us off track. We want to talk about what we do know, not what we don't know. Well, what's going on here? There is, there is an Egyptian deity who's helping a man named Hor. He is lying on the bed and his, and this isn't the angel of the Lord. This eagle, is, it wasn't actually an eagle. It probably had the, man, the head of a man on it. That's what all the other Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics show in that type of image. And there's plenty of them. And down at the bottom, those, those four Egyptian gods that he named, those aren't, those names don't exist, first off. And secondly, they're different. They are different deities, but they're not the ones he named, not even close. 
But what these are is these are canopic jars. What they're they're for is holding the organs of the dead guy, right? Nowadays, nowadays we know what goes on with Egyptian um, embalming. Why do we all know this? Like, I don't know. It's interesting, right? We're interested in what, what happened in ancient Egypt and what they did when they pulled your brain out through your nose and stuff like that. But but those were jars for holding the organs of the dead guy. And this is this is stuff that's meant to help him get across to the other side. The breathing permit of horror is actually that. It's like to help him to be able to breathe again in the future sometime. This is this is all cultic, weird stuff. That's what we discovered about the book of Abraham. It literally had nothing, not even a tiny bit to do with Abraham, either in time or in subject or in content. And it wasn't even about the God of Abraham. It wasn't even from a biblical perspective, but from an Egyptian one. Ooh, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So what do Egyptologists actually say about it? Let me... Let me read it to you, because that's what I would want to know, right? Dr. W.M. Flinders Petrie from the London University says the following. I've examined the illustrations given in the Pearl of Great Price. In the first place, they are copies, very badly done, of well-known Egyptian subjects, of which I have dozens of examples. Secondly, they are all many centuries later than Abraham. James H. Breasted, Ph.D., from Haskell Oriental Museum in the, the, and the University of Chicago, says the following. Joseph Smith's interpretation of them as part of a unique revelation through Abraham, therefore, very clearly demonstrates that he was totally unacquainted with the significance of these documents and absolutely ignorant of the simplest facts of Egyptian writing and civilization. Let's read a few more. Dr. Arthur C. Mace, assistant curator from the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, from the Department of Egyptian Art, he says, The Book of Abraham, it is hardly necessary to say, is a pure fabrication. Dr. John Peters from the University of Pennsylvania says, The plates contained in the, contained in the Pearl of Great Price are rather comical and a very poor imitation of the Egyptian originals. Reverend Professor C.A.B. Mercer, Ph.D., he says the following. The explanatory notes to his facsimile cannot be taken seriously by any scholar as they seem to be undoubtedly the work of pure imagination. Dr. Edward Meyer from the University of Berlin. The Egyptian Pyrus, which Smith declared to be the Book of Abraham and tran translated, it's in quotes there, translated or explained in his fantastical way and of which our three specimens are published, in the Pearl of Great Price, are parts of the well-known Book of the Dead. Although the reproductions are very bad, one can easily recognize familiar scenes from this book. Finally, uh, Dr. Friedrich Freeherr von Bissing, try to say that name, professor of Egyptology in the University of Munich. You gonna join the live stream there? Um, that's my cat, Moxie. She also thinks it's a forgery. He says, a careful study has, has convinced me that Smith probably believed seriously to have deciphered the ancient hieroglyphics, but that he utterly failed. What he calls the Book of Abraham is a funeral Egyptian text, probably not older than the Greek ages. So there's what some of the, the um, actual Egyptologist professors say, but you might be thinking, Mike, okay, that's fine. You quoted a bunch of non-Mormon Egyptologists. What do the Mormons actually say about this? What does the LDS actually teach? Are you going to, you going to ruin this thing? Huh? <laughs> I've always wondered when they're going to ruin my live stream. Uh, so what do they actually teach? Well, let me read to you from an article on LDS.org called Translation and Historicity of the Book of Abraham. This is the official position. I mean, at least it's on the official website of the church. And I'll read to you word for word. None of the characters on the papyrus fragment mentioned in Abraham's name or any of the events recorded in the Book of Abraham, um, 
uh, Mormon and non-Mormon Egyptologists agree that the characters on the fragment do not match the translation given in the book of Abraham. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. Mormon and non-Mormon Egyptologists agree that the characters on the fragments do not match the translations given in the book of Abraham. Though there is not unanimity, even among non-Mormon scholars, about the proper interpretation of the vignettes on these fragments. Now that's kind of a cop-out, because what they're really saying is, we're not sure, entirely sure of what every little piece of these fragments means. Okay, fine. But we know for sure it doesn't mean that. Mm-hmm. Message of Satan to buffet me. So, reading on, in the, on the LDS.org. This is live stream, guys. <laughs> and it says, um, though there is not unanimity, we read that part, that scholars have identified the papyrus fragments as part of standard funerary texts that were deposited with mummified bodies. These fragments date to between the 3rd century BCE and the 1st century CE, long after Abraham lived. So, LDS.org comes out and says, yep, these things are not true. We know these things aren't true. In fact, the article concludes, and you can go to the article, I will put it in the video description here after I'm done. The article concludes with this phrase, the last thing they say, the truth about the book of Abraham is ultimately found through careful study of its teachings, sincere prayer, and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. That's how you really find out. Because in Mormonism, Mormon apologetics is built on one pillar. Evidence doesn't matter, just believe it. I could not be a Mormon because of this. I am only a Christian because when I researched the evidence and when I sought to find the proof for what I believed, my questions were answered and I felt satisfied intellectually with those answers. I could never be Mormon. And I can't imagine what it feels like to be raised as a Mormon and then to hear stuff like this and then maybe get mad at a guy like me and then go look into it and find out it's true. And then your whole world's upside down, right? And you don't know what to believe. And they come to you and they say, take it on faith, you know, just, just believe it, you know, pray that God will kind of reveal it to you that it's true, even though it's not. Let me finish by quoting, as far as quoting people, last quote for you tonight. Let me give you a quote from Dr. Stephen E. Thompson. He is a Mormon Egyptologist with his PhD in Egyptology. And he says, and I quote, it was not written by Abraham's own hand upon papyrus. That's the truth. Now, what does this mean? What do I do with all this information? I conclude, Joseph Smith lied. Now, that's not meant to insult Joseph Smith. This is meant to be a, 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 a branch of hope to the Mormon who was lied to. You see, because he didn't just lie about something. If Joseph Smith lied about one little thing, I wouldn't, it wouldn't mean he was a false prophet, right? But when he lies about his divine inspiration, when he lies about his ability from God to translate this ancient Egyptian text into what is now new revelation from God, guess what that means? There is no possible way this guy's a prophet, except a false prophet. It's the only option available. It's the only possibility is that he is a false prophet. This is utter proof. And it's not even new. This, none of this is new, right? We've known this since the 60s. There was documentaries produced on it. There's plenty of content online. But a lot of stuff that happened in the 60s has been forgotten, <laughs> as you well know. So it's good to bring it up again. So I encourage you to, um, to go ahead and, uh, and share this. I mean, sh share this video. Like, Put it up on your, on your Facebook or Insta, what, I don't know, wherever, you know, Instabook or Face Twitters and all that. Just put it out there because we want to get the content out so people can know the truth. This is not complicated stuff. It's just 
things get forgotten and we need to kind of like for a new generation, say it again and again and again. And that's what, one of the things I'm doing on this, on this Tuesday live stream. And, um, now I'm going to answer real quick before I take your guys questions. And I want to tell you, go ahead and, and put your questions now in the, in the comments. And then AJ is going to send those to me and I will, I will answer them here on our live stream. And I thank you for doing that. Thanks for joining me today, by the way. Thanks for taking time out of your, uh, out of your day. I know you're busy because we live in a busy time. But let's suppose that a Mormon watched this video and they go, wait, wait, but wait, aren't there answers? And they go research and they find that there actually are Mormon apologists who are trying to defend the book of Abraham still, even though there's no way, like there's no possible way that it's true. Um, so what do they say? Well, one of the things they say is they have two theories. One's called the short scroll theory and the other one's called the long scroll theory. So as you research this, they'll say um, the short scroll theory is that it was the scrolls about as the size as it, as it appears to be based upon the papyri we've discovered. And um, that's pretty much all the content that was there for the most part. And guess what? Language changed. And so maybe Abraham really did write it. And then people changed the meaning of what Abraham wrote and Egyptian language and hieroglyphs changed so that now it means something different, but it was still the same thing that he originally wrote. I almost don't have to respond to this because the theory that an entire language changed and transformed to fit, I mean, it's, it's like, this is, I just want Mormons to hear people say this out loud so that they'll realize like, yeah, this is a joke. This is a joke. Um, when, you know, these are the excuses you have when you don't have an excuse. The long scroll theory is a little different. The long scroll theory is that, yes, there's these papyri, but, and we found some of them, but in that same scroll, there was other, you know, documents that were just lost in the fire and we don't have those ones. So the ones we've recovered are from the book of the dead and the breathing permit of horror, but, but no, no, there was other ones that we haven't found yet. That's another offered thing, but here, here's the problem. This cannot be the case because Joseph Smith included in his translation the very things he was translating from, and then he analyzed those pictures, gave the definition of what those things meant, and that has been thoroughly refuted. And so that's not possible. The long scroll theory is impossible. Um, another one would be, another option is that Joseph Smith, when he, we say translate, he didn't translate the actual words. What he did was, and this is on LDS.org as well, is that he looked at the papyri and he, he just meditated on it. And he was like, hmm. And he could see like an image, you know, like he'd see like the, the guy on the table and he, and he just, and it just, this is an occasion that triggers sort of meditative thought. And then God reveals to him about Abraham and how they, the Egyptians tried to kill Abraham or something. Um, this we know to be false because of his own diaries where he says he translated it. We also know it to be false because of the introduction to the book of Abraham where it says it was written by his own hand. And it says that this is a translation of that very document, not, not a um, spiritual impressions derived from getting inspiration or some garbage like that. The final and last ditch effort of Mormon apologists is because I have research. I'm like, what do they say? The final one they say, the final thing they give out there is this. Well, we don't really know enough. And they say this, Egypt, Egyptians, Egypt, Egyptologists and the whole field of Egyptology is constantly evolving. We're always learning new things and getting proved wrong. Now, why would they say this? Because all of the evidence is against them, not some, all of the evidence is against them. What they're saying is maybe we'll find something in the future that somehow makes this all work. Uh, but that's not the case because it's not what we don't know that proves the book of Abraham wrong. It's what we do know that proves the book of Abraham wrong. And whatever we learn next about Egyptian isn't going to undo the fact that this is Osiris, not 
this this priest that that he fabricated things that in fact there is i'll show you one more image this is an image of joseph smith in his own writings trying to decipher egyptian hieroglyphics now the great thing is is we actually have documents with these images on them where he's trying to say this is what egyptian is this is what the ancient egyptian meant and he's trying to come up with it now of course unbeknownst to him there were people actually really knowing this stuff in europe and now we can compare but what he does here is he proves, and you can't really read the writing, but I encourage you to research it on your own. He proves that he doesn't know anything about these letters. He's literally just making stuff up. And so, yes, he was really trying to translate the originals. Yes, he was really trying to uh, to give a, a testimony just like it sounds. And yes, it's absolutely been proven wrong. So there's the book of Abraham for you. I'm going to take your guys' questions now. So let me just open that up. And thanks, AJ, for being there. AJ's volunteering. He does this uh, for nothing, just for kicks kicks, and and and, uh, and for the enjoyment of helping to, to basically spread the truth. Okay, so here's the question. It says, Deuteronomy uh, 1820. Actually, this is a scripture someone wanted to, to share. So I will read it. This is very pertinent to us. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or he who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. The scripture is extremely strict about, you know, someone who claims to be a prophet. And then um, he was not just wrong. He was clearly, truly fabricating things, either inspired by Satan or the imaginations and deceptions of his own heart and mind. Either way, it wasn't God. And the scripture would say, yeah, you know, he, he dies. At least that's under the Old Testament law. I don't think we should go out trying to kill people. Actually, I have a two-part series called How to Understand the Old Testament Law. For those of you that think I'm being a hypocrite when I say that. I do explain that very carefully. Um, okay, so from Truthseeker4815. Mike, what do you make of the argument that some Mormon apologists make by saying that translation means that he receives the book via direct revelation? Actually, uh, I, I think that that's... Um, uh, I think it's refuted by what I already shared as far as the specific things, how he, in his diary quotes earlier in, in this video, he says that he's translating the exact words and, and phrases and he's getting the meaning from the text. And there's tons of other diaries and other writings from the history of the church where people are saying, yeah, and Joseph Smith produced the actual document and then told us what those symbols meant. And so they're, they're basically totally, they're lying. They're just so deceitful and lying. Any Mormon apologist worth their salt is going to say, you know what? Mormonism's wrong and and we need to come out of it. In fact, I, I call, if any, if you're a high up Mormon and you know this stuff, I don't care if it costs you your reputation or your job, you owe it to everyone you know to use your position to stand up and declare that Mormonism is a lie. You can't just sit there and quietly know it's not true. You have to tell everyone. You have to help get them into the truth of Jesus Christ, but away from the truth of Joseph Smith because his truth is false. Um, another question from um, Our Abina one. Uh, and thanks for watching with me. The other thing we look at is the Old Testament or covenant is cut with blood. The New Testament with the blood of Jesus. What is Mormonism and another and another testament cut with? Um, I'll be I'll be honest. I don't fully track with with what you're saying. I, I get that you're saying um, there was a there was a testament in blood and testimony in blood that where there's sacrifices and stuff like that of the Old Testament than Jesus and the New. <clears throat> Actually, my biggest personal apologetic statement against the Book of Mormon or any any latter-day type revelation, new book added to the Bible, is this. The Old Testament creates amazing expectation for Jesus. 
And and you leave the Old Testament with a sense that it's it's not over, right? This is all this prophecy of what's coming next, and it's a Messiah and all these specific things that he's going to do and transformations and changes, and a new covenant is prophesied in Jeremiah 31. But then you have Joseph Smith show up, and there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that this guy's going to come. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests Muhammad is going to show up later or or Ansong Hong or some other person in other religion. So the, the Old Testament creates expectation for the new. The new creates expectation for the second coming, not for another testament. Um, Truthseeker4815 says, What about the argument that Joseph Smith didn't actually write the grammar and alphabet document? Supposedly it was written by somebody else. I haven't actually heard that document and I, or that argument, and I think it would fall flat for this reason. The the, for whatever reason, right, the LDS Church, they recently published something called the Joseph Smith Papers. So go Google that, Joseph Smith Papers. And what that is is a whole bunch of stuff they had kind of buried away. And they said, this is everything that Joseph Smith wrote. This is all the stuff we have on Joseph Smith. It's very revealing and it's very shaming, I think, upon Joseph Smith. Um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, these documents were included in there. And if that's the case, um, then that's not even possible. But even if we didn't have the document where he's trying to decipher the hieroglyphs, um, it would it would still be damning in another sense because of all the other content. But I've even heard a Mormon apologist trying to defend Joseph Smith and his statement about the the hieroglyphs <clears throat> that he was he was saying this is the hieroglyph that's what it means. He says, and I quote, "I don't know what Joseph Smith was doing with that. We don't really know what was going on there." <laughs> so, in other words, it's wrong, and they don't have an explanation. Um, in truth, by grace says. Um, Ask Mike if he finds it more effective to expose these lies of a of a Joseph Smith or appealing to the authority of God claimed in Scripture. Which authority do Mormons value more, God or Joseph Smith? Um, that's a good question. I I guess there's probably no one blanket answer on that. And obviously, you meet one individual, they'll be in one position. You meet another individual, they'll be in a different position. Um, but what I've found is this: um, I've actually had Mormon missionaries at my door, and I've asked them this question. I've said, hey, um, if you had, the Bible said one thing, just hypothetical, right? Some people are not good at hypothetical questions, but here it is. If you had the Bible that preached one truth, right? Then you have the, the, the Book of Mormon or another one of the standard works of the church that preaches something absolutely contradictory. Then you have the Holy Spirit telling you something else, or at least you think the Holy Spirit's telling you something else. And I asked him, which one would you believe? That's an interesting question because I'm just trying to figure out why are they really believing? And and every Mormon I asked this answered the same. They said, I would believe the Holy Spirit. Um, and that makes sense when you realize that the apologetics of Mormonism is believe the Holy Spirit. And then they preach the, this feeling you're getting is the Holy Spirit. Of course, if anyone prays and they don't get that from the Holy Spirit, that's not an answer that is not true. It's there's You can only get a yes from the Holy Spirit. The only answer the Holy Spirit gives is ever is yes. And you ignore it when he's, if he says no. Because I prayed about it and God told me no. <laughs> I'll put it that way. But that doesn't count to the LDS. Um, so I think that they, they don't consider the Book of Mormon or the Bible or even the church as great of an authority as they consider the Holy Spirit. And they've been brainwashed. I shouldn't say brainwashed, but they've been taught that. And so, um, uh, man, how do you, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you approach that? I want to move them into the realm of, of not judging things by how they feel. That's what I want to do. I want to get them into the realm of saying, look, you know, you can, you know, sometimes you feel something's true and you're wrong. Okay. So then we should be able to test it. If it's true, you should be able to poke it a little bit and see. Um, okay. And detective in Christ has a question says, what would be the thing to say to Mormons when witnessing to Mormons? And should I link them to this video? <clears throat> um, 
Uh, well, that, that'll be up to you if you want to link them to this video. Um, I definitely hope Mormons watch this video. I opened the video addressing Mormons in particular to try to let them know, you know, I'm not trying to attack or be mean or anything. Um, I'm trying to speak truth. Um, but what would be like one thing um, that you might say to two Mormons? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, I should... I've been asked to do a video on like, what do I say when Mormons come to my door? <laughs> and maybe have you, that'd be worth spending some time thinking and praying about it. Uh, but you know, the proverb says the righteous, he, he ponders before he answers. He considers a matter first. And if I had to tell you one thing, I, I don't think I can answer that question off the top of my head. Um, I usually start with questions when the Mormons come to my door. I try to find out where they're at, you know, just find out what do you believe? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Even hypothetical questions like, uh, how do you know it's true? And then if I find out where they're at, like, how this person grounds themselves in Mormonism or in that faith, then I'll better be informed to kind of help them understand that it's, it's not grounded. It's not true. Um, so, but yeah, I do, I do. I think videos like this are great because here's the thing, what Mormon will let, will like sit there and let you say all that, I, all the stuff I said, they'll interrupt you. They'll change the subject. They'll bring up 15 different scriptures out of context. Then they'll say, you have to pray, take it on faith and they'll, they'll leave. But giving them a video, well, they might watch the whole thing even if they're just watching it because they're mad you know? <laughs> and, and hopefully they'll think it through and hopefully they'll consider it. And even better, they, they will actually go research the stuff on their own because I'm not sharing stuff I'm making up. This is all just reality. So, um, yeah. So thank you guys. I have a question for you guys and I want you to put it in the comments, but not in the live stream comments. I'd like you if possible to put it in the comments on the video when it's done. And the question is this, um, what would you like me to do in this live stream uh, next? Because what I, what I was off the top of my head, what I'm thinking about doing is I found a video online by an atheist giving us, I think it's 23 reasons not to believe in God. And I was, and it's just like, it's like shotgun, boom, 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 one after another. And what I was going to do is answer these things and try to expose that the, the logic and reasoning is flawed in those arguments. And I, I don't want to only talk about, you know, false religious groups. I want to deal with everything that kind of hits the scope of theology and apologetics. So I was thinking about doing that. Um, other things I'm thinking about doing is there are some faith healing stuff that I've been researching and I want to expose, to be honest. I believe in healing. I do. I'm, I'm charismatic in the sense that I believe that God still heals today. Um, I, however, think people abuse other people in the realm of healings and um, I feel provoked to say something about it. And so I want to very graciously and cautiously expose what I believe are some of the false healing people out there on the internet right now. And it's not because I'm uh, bitter or anything, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to trying to help people is the truth because not enough balanced people talk about this stuff. Oftentimes it's only the unbalanced that get on either one or the other side and, you know, yell at each other when someone's like, I just want clarity. Can I just have clarity and truth? And that's of course uh, my goal. So between those two things, uh, atheism or fake healings, you get to pick. You decide what the next uh, live stream will be about. So that's about it. If you haven't subscribed to my channel, please uh, do so. If you're interested in this content, you can subscribe now and you can get uh, updates on a regular basis from uh, from your notifications. If you click that little bell icon, because YouTube changed the way they do things a little while back and you need to click that or you might not know actually when I make a video. So God bless you guys. And I appreciate your prayers for this ministry as I'm still um, learning how to use this social platform for the Lord. Take care.